Kath preaching. So, uh, so you'll get some silliness and seriousness from Kath. So all the proper stuff will probably come from Kath in a minute. But right now, we have stolen Ant's idea, as he, uh, he said. So we're going to do a Slido. So, and this isn't just because we've become unprepared, um, but we want to find out what you think discipleship is. So the question is, what is discipleship? Um, so, does everybody know how to use a Slido? Was everybody here last time we did it? What you need to do is scan the QR code or type in the address slido.com. And then when you get to that address, type in the hashtag number. Uh, I don't think you need the hashtag, I think you just need a number. And then once you're there, you'll be able to put in what discipleship is. So we've got relationships. Discipleship is relationships. I feel like everybody's taking a picture of me, but I know that it's the slide behind me. So, that's a good answer, good start. Relationships. If anybody's got any uh, questions on the slider, because I think we've got one participant. <coughs> Growing. Nice. Learning and growing. That one's gone big, so that must have been uh, put at the same time by two people, maybe three. Oh, we've got depth of relationships. Oh, this is becoming more like Jesus. Walking alongside each other. Learning to be like Jesus. Looking good. Sharing, I can't tell which one just came up. Sharing life together, friendship and together me. I assume that's probably togetherness. Um, there's togetherness on journey. Ooh, that's quite nice phrasing. Bring real. I'm going to assume being real. Um, but you can also bring real if he's a friend or a colleague into discipleship. Um, uh, becoming more like Jesus has gotten bigger. Looking good. We can all go straight to tea and coffee after this because uh, you seem to know it all already. <laughs> so, stewardship, that's a, a new one up there. Giving life. Okay, this looks fantastic. Great job, everyone. Um, well, we can put your phones down and now Kat's going to continue on. Save us from there. That is such a really great. We can see that you've all got a really good understanding, or a beginning of an understanding of what discipleship is. And you are right; it is about relationships. It's about becoming like Jesus. Uh, but discipleship itself is an interesting term because, strictly speaking, it's not a word that appears in the Bible. But it is a word. It's a useful term that helps us describe what Jesus outlines for his followers to do. Because we know that obviously Jesus calls disciples 
um, Matthew 28, verse 18. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. One useful definition of discipleship I came across said, Discipleship is defined as followers of Christ who then teach what they have learned. And I think um, that was the gist of what you were saying. It's gone now. Um, After you've become a follower of Jesus, it's time to go out and share what you have learned. And there's an automatic call to us um, as Christians um, to go and make disciples. And yes, that includes making new um, disciples, helping people become new Christians. But that also means helping people discover um, more and more about Jesus. It's about growing um, more. So it's not just the new Christian. It goes beyond that. It goes further. Um, 1 Peter 2 verse 2 says, Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Um, We know um, this, we've probably heard this verse before, it's not an uncommon one to hear. And as we enter into a relationship with Jesus, we're given new life. And like Peter describes, um, young Christians or new Christians should um, crave milk, we should crave more understanding than that. Um, more of God's presence. I was reading um, one of my old notebooks recently. Um, I used to be a lot better without kids at writing in notebooks, diaries, whatever it was. Um, and Kath, aged 19, is so enthusiastic. Um, and I was really challenged by that, by the dependency that I wrote with. Um, I was writing down prophetic words, um, things that people had spoken to me about. And I was just so excited for what those were going to do for me in my life. Um, And to some extent, we are all excited when we meet the new Christians. There is that element of real excitement over things when they are new. Um, But as we mature in our faith, we are still to hunger for things from God. Hebrews 5 says, Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Mike's going to have the challenges in a few moments. Um, But what kind of spiritual food are you after? Um, I was listening to Premier Praise Radio in the car, um, and one of the speakers really challenged me to think about my devotional time. The gist of it was that it's easy to spend your time with God praying to him, going to him with a list of all the things that you want, or letting an audio book or something else like that or a preach, wash over you. And whilst those are all really great things to do, they do build you up, um, how much of our devotional time do we actually spend listening, seeking God for ourselves, without anybody else's words um, in our minds, just you and God, knelt before him, waiting on him for what he needs to say to you. When you're a baby, um, you need somebody to feed you. We are weaning Rosie, and it is messy. (laughs) So messy, we even bought a new mop. Um, 
But when we learn to feed ourselves, and I would like to hope that all you can indeed feed yourselves, um, we don't need, it's not half as messy, well, apart from when Mike sees me. Um, but you can do it yourself. You can cook, you can get your food when you want it. Um, and the same is like, is, exists for being a Christian. Mature, mature Christians do not need every teaching and word from God handed to them on a plate or a spoon. They actively go out and hear God for themselves. Many of us have been attending church meetings for years and years, but maturing in our faith goes beyond what you can receive from a Sunday. Sundays are great times together, and it's so good to meet with the church. And that's why discipleship is so immensely important, because it goes beyond what we can give each other in these few hours that we're here on a Sunday. And one really, really important thing about discipleship is that it's a task that you're never meant to do alone. And in God's plan for us, we were never meant to be alone either. I use a devotional app. Um, it's, I'm sure I've mentioned it lots of times. A few of you know that I have. It's Lectio 365. And there's a Sunday prayer that is repeated a few times. Um, and is it going to appear, Mike? There it is. It simply said, um, today I remember that God's original plan for humanity was not to achieve great things or strive for success. It was a simple invitation to walk and talk with him each day. Then the man and wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Remember, the only thing that God desires in this moment is my presence in his presence. Before Adam and Eve messed everything up, they were living the discipleship dream, a huddle group of three. And if you've never heard of huddles, we'll explain them a bit later. But it's a small group, them and God. They were in the perfect place, obviously, the Garden of Eden. And it's all about relationship in that moment. So we're going to take a look at two people who lived a a bit of a life of deep discipleship. And that's the story of David and Jonathan. So, if we've got your Bible, your Bible apps, it will be on the screen behind me if you don't. Let's turn to 1 Samuel 23. Um, and right here in this part, we're going to be jumping in sort of like into the middle of an episode. Like into, in the middle of a season. Like it's very much in the middle of lots of other things going on. So here's a quick run over of what's happened previously in David and Jonathan's life. Uh, so David was anointed by Samuel to be the future king of Israel uh, and Samuel was a prophet uh, and then David got invited into Saul's uh, house as a worship leader to play music to calm him down and he grew a friendship there with Jonathan, Saul's son. And Saul and so through their relationship, uh, it grew over time. Um, but Saul, as a king, um, he went on this sort of like bit of a downward arc. He started off like really great. He was a bit of a hero. He was like, oh, Saul, he's a great king. And then he became a bit of a tyrant, uh, a bit of a menace. And just before this moment in Samuel 23, um, Jonathan uh, hatches a plan with David where to find out whether Saul is really angry. 
And Saul did get angry. He grabbed a spear, threw it at Jonathan, which a bit scary, let's be honest. You don't want to be, well, on the, rear, well, the front end of a spear, do you? So he's, uh, so he's just found out and he's told David all this. And David has gone on the run. And so and here we come to a moment. And verse 14 is where we're going to read from. We come to a moment where David is run to a bit of a war zone and Jonathan is coming towards him. So, verse 14. David stayed in the wilderness stronghold and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. While David was at Haresh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son David went to David at Haresh and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king of Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two men made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horesh. And it's that line there. He helped him find strength in God. That's in verse 16. Jonathan, he went out to Horesh. He went out to him in the midst of a battle, in the midst of a massive search against his father's will. Like, he's not going to make him any after the spear throwing incident. I imagine their relationship got, gets a bit worse now that he's disobeying his orders. And he, he does something really important for David in this moment. He doesn't just, uh, like, give him a big hug. But he helps him find strength in God. He reminds him of his calling. He reminds him of what God has said over his life, that he is going to be king. He reminds him that God will not let him go, will not let him be perished. And he does this and puts strength into him. Another phrasing says he puts courage into David. And this takes a lot. Like for, for Jonathan, let, imagine Jonathan right now, he's like all that's going on. And he does this and goes through this war zone. He goes through to encourage him. And it takes daring. Discipleship like takes us to dare to go into, into the, the messy, horrible things of life to bring courage, to bring strength, to, bring, to remind people of what God has called them to do, to remind them of who he says they are. And John, Jonathan dared to go in to that. He dared to disciple, to, be, to disciple David. And this got me thinking um, that discipleship, it can be a little bit like wanting to find out about bears. I felt a couple of eyes roll there. I know I've lost a couple of you right now, but trust me, I'm going somewhere with this. Like, just imagine for a second, I know it may be hard for some, but imagine that you are, you, you're passionate about bears and you want to find out about bears. Everybody still on me, with me? You want to find out about bears. So what's the first thing you would do to find out about bears? Go to YouTube. <laughs> find a book. You'll read something about bears. And eventually you'll realize that that's just the bare minimum of what you can find out about there. For you, Graham. But you, but you see, like when, at that point where it's not enough, what would you do then? When somebody's like, I need to find out more about bears. 
Yes! Have you read my script, Dave? <laughs> Graham? So, you'll go to a zoo. You'll go and you'll find these new dimensions of bears. And you, you'll start to understand more about bears. You, maybe you'll get binoculars out to, to see them a bit closer. Maybe you'll find other bear enthusiasts at a zoo and sort of talk to each other because, like, you'll really care about bears. But, like, after a while of going to the zoo, probably, like, 200 times by this point, but, like, after a while, you start to think, this isn't enough. I need to know more. <coughs> and the next thing you'll do, I don't know, what well, you might do, is you might decide, I need to see a bear up close. <laughs> I need to go look at a bear. So you go find where the bear lives and you go and you, you walk up to a bear to find out about this bear. <laughs> and at this moment, you, you may be barely scared or you may be terrified. Thinking of you here, Graham. <laughs> but it's at that moment where you're up close with a bear, where you're vulnerable to attack, where yeah, it's a bit scary and unnerving that you can discover more about a bear. You can discover new dimensions, new understandings, and you can get close and build relationship with a bear. And discipleship, I know it falls down in many places because a bear is a bear and not a person. And like we can sort of lose it, lose the analogy, but it can seem insane to go up close to a bear, and it can seem a bit crazy to be vulnerable to people, to, to bear your soul to somebody. Okay, that was the last one, I promise. I couldn't help myself that time. But it takes vulnerability, and it takes a bit of courage. It takes us to open ourselves up. And if discipleship, if we take the vulnerability out of discipleship, if we take... It sort of becomes a bit like a, a bit more like Winnie the Pooh, or a cardboard cutout of Winnie the Pooh. That you can go to him and you can hear him say some wonderful, great thing. Like if a person you're talking to doesn't appear to be listening, be patient. It may simply be that he has a small piece of fluff in his ear. Or if there ever comes a day when you can't be together, keep him, keep him be in your heart. I'll stay there forever. Like lovely, isn't it? Winnie the Pooh, ah, oh, such cute, such loveliness, but that quote doesn't go deep, does it? It sort of, it heals maybe a moment, but to really go deep, you need more than Winnie the Pooh quotes to understand the bear. And it's the same with Jesus. We can find out loads from books, from podcasts, from YouTube, from church, from connect groups, from all the situations that we find ourselves in. But there is more to a journey with Jesus. There's an element where we've got to be open to vulnerability, to really go deep, to really dare to disciple each other and be discipled. So in case you were distracted by the bear, um, the challenge is to dare to be intimate and vulnerable in your discipleship. And there's no pretending that close relationships are easy. I'm sure we can all tell of fractured relationships that we've either been involved with or witnessed. Because being close to people naturally causes arguments. Uh, but an amazing example of how God expects us to do life with people is found in the book of Philemon. 
Uh, there was slight debate between us about how to pronounce Philemon, Philemon, or Mike's silent P theory. Um, <laughs> so if you want to turn to um, Philemon um, in your Bibles, if you can remember where it is, very small book, somewhere near the back-ish. Um, so while you're getting there, um, if you've not, uh, if you can't remember what it's about because it's so small, um, Paul is writing this book. It's a letter to Philemon, um, who's a well-to-do Roman citizen. Um, he leads a church in Colossae, um, and he's asking him if he will take on Onesimus. Onesimus was formerly a slave of Philemon, and all we know um, before the book, well, we learn later. Um, is that there was a serious conflict in which Onesimus wrongs Philemon and Onesimus has run away. Onesimus meets Paul in prison. Um, Onesimus does become a Christian. And the first bit of discipleship, that wasn't really my main point, but a bonus point, is that Paul disciples Onesimus. He helps him to grow spiritually and he equips him for service. Um, so once we're at um, Philemon... Um, Obviously, only one chapter. So, verse number 10, uh, we can read. Um, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became... Um, oh, Mike, I told you I'd skipped a bit of scripture out, and it's this bit. <laughs> um, sorry, my copying and pasting went wrong here. But you'll, you'll get the gist. Um, while I was in chains... Is it up there as well? <laughs> um, sorry. Formerly, he was useless to you. But now he has become useful to both of you and me. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. Would, um, I would have liked to keep him with me um, so that you could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favour you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have, have him back forever no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you'd welcome me. And this is a really powerful way of how God calls us to treat other people within the body of Christ. And um, Philemon is not is not only expected to forgive Onesimus for whatever it was he did wrong, but now he needs to welcome him back as a brother something that was completely unheard of at the times. Um, and the class difference in this case has to be shattered because Paul is asking Philemon to take the slave that seriously wronged him and love him like a brother. He'd have to raise Onesimus up to have the same social standing. And Paul is asking Philemon to be more like Jesus as he does that. Paul is... Um, asking Philemon um, to disciple Onesimus, somebody who he did not naturally get on with. He had a clash and someone who was his slave. And as we learn to, disciple, to be disciples together, uh, we must, as Philemon was urged, take each other on as brothers, forgiving each other and treating each other as equals, regardless of where we come from, regardless of whether we are similar people or we are different, and whether that's um, 
class differences um, or cultural differences, all of those are shattered in front of Christ. God levels the playing field for us. Um, and Paul here is also being a, a figure of accountability for Philemon. And discipleship is also about accountability. Paul is keeping Philemon in check. He's helping him be more like Jesus. He's doing it with a lot of love and grace. And when we challenge people or are challenged, it must be in line with God's word and given in the right setting from a place of love and grace. There is so much more we could gain from this really tiny book. Um, but sadly, we really don't have time. So I'm going to hand back to Mike. So we're going to take a look at um, Jesus now and the way he uh, did what we would call uh, discipleship. Um, so, and we all know that Jesus reached many people. Um, and the first thing he, would, he, he did in terms of discipling like, was his widest reach was like preaching and teaching. So like, he, he preached in synagogues, mountainsides, lakesides, and he drew in quite a large crowd. And like in Luke 10, he managed to send out 72 people, which is quite a lot of people. Like that's more than in this room right now. 72 people have to share the gospel. And he discipled them generally through the, the larger word. word. Um, but then he also had his 12 disciples. Um, and with the 12 disciples, he didn't just do the same thing um, with the 12 disciples as he did with the crowds. Because that would be a bit odd, standing on a mountainside, shouting at 12 people, like, blessed are the poor, or the blessed are the meek, or blessed are the peacemakers. Like, it will be a bit odd. But what he did with them is he had a bit of a deeper relationship. He ate meals with them, he went round to the house, he, he shared deeper knowledge of what he was talking about, and he took them deeper into where he even served them, he washed their feet. And, and that's not just where it stops, because Jesus didn't just have 12 he also had three. And theologians call this like an inner circle, um, I think. Um, but he had James, John, and Peter. And again, with these three, he didn't do the same. He took these three into some of his closest and most personal moments. It's like when Jesus went to the Mount of Transfiguration, he took these three. When Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, it was these three with him. When Jesus uh, went and healed the synagogue, the synagogue ruler's daughter, it was these three that were with him. And it was these three that were closest to him when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. So we're going to take a look at that passage uh, where in Matthew 26, uh, 36 to 41, if you want to turn there. Um, and it's these, so in this situation, so he's gone up and he's sort of spoken with the twelve. And he's like, you stay here, we'll walk a little bit further with the three. And he's walked a little bit further with the three. And then he's like, you guys stay here. And this is where, and he said, this is where we jump in. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to, said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here, keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, it is, if it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me, yet not, not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch, for, watch with me for an hour? He asked Peter, Watch and pray, so that you may not fall into temptation. 
The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So he took these three into a really vulnerable moment with him. And he even trusted them to keep watch for him. And, it, and you can really see how, how he is, the difference between how he is with the twelve and the three here. Because it, it says that he began to feel sorrowful and troubled. That was after he left the rest of them. And he said to these three only, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So he, was, he invited these three into his pain and into his hurt and into his sorrow, sorrow and trouble. He invited these three and he trusted them. And even in that, like even when they fell asleep, which he didn't really want them to do, he came and gave them truth. He came and gave them a bit of discipline. He went, and that is part of deep discipleship. Let me click the mute button then. <laughs> deep discipleship is going, is sometimes includes discipline. Includes some of those parts in our life which are, are a bit less like Jesus. Somebody coming in and being like, well, saying something like this, like the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. Like stirring us up to be more like him. And his vulnerability and hard truths that can come out in the safety and security of relationships that are built over time, then where trust is built. And this discipleship relationship with Jesus really impacted James and John in their life. Because after Jesus goes back to heaven, in the book of Acts, it was these three, this is only these three that actually get mentioned. And it appears that they took on a bigger leadership responsibility than the rest of them. Because preach, Peter preaches at Pentecost, Peter and John healed a beggar. Peter and John are brought before the Jewish council. Peter and John are sent to the Samaritans uh, when they receive the Holy Spirit. And James is killed by Herod in Acts chapter 12. These three, and I don't think it's any coincidence that their discipleship relationship led them to be more missional in their life. It led them to be braver and bolder, proclaiming the gospel that it was through the discipleship that it, this happened. And it's not like discipleship is something for just the leaders to do to everybody else. It's all of us. All of us are called to be disciples and to disciple. Like there's no hierarchy and it's, we're all doing the same thing. We all want to be like Jesus. We all want to become more like him. And just as Jesus said, that, like, as just like each and every one of us are sent in the same way as he is. Like each and every one of us. Not, not, just, not just James and Rian or Vicky or each and every one of us. Everyone in this room is called to do this. It's called to invite people into their vulnerability and to, to, to help people in their vulnerability. To help bring strength. To help carry burdens and pains. And that is part of what becoming more like Jesus is, involves. Um, there's a well-known quote that we started with that we thought we were going to start with but we'll finish it well it was well-known to us but perhaps not everyone else um, if mission isn't happening it's a discipleship issue so we as King's Church Withenshaw at the moment we are going after passionately huddles and for those of you who don't know our huddles are very small connect groups um, they are slightly different sizes because um, huddles are, are 
meant to be quite fluid as well. Um, they might work for seasons. Um, but they're about journeying together with a small group of people so that you can be vulnerable, up close um, and personal and grisly with each other. Um, and the aim is we've got some that uh, meet online, we've got some that meet on person. I think all of our groups at the moment are single sex, but that doesn't have to necessarily be the case. Um, but we want you to think really carefully about whether that's something that you want to be involved with. And perhaps if you're already in a huddle, well then the challenge is to ask yourself, am I being vulnerable with the people who I'm, I'm, I've set myself to decide, do discipleship with? How vulnerable, how open am I? Is my disciple, uh, is my huddle group, you know, it's going really well, we're having meals together, but could we be going deeper? Could we be really challenging each other and pulling the best out of each other? So that is the challenge. And if you would like to be involved in a huddle, please speak to myself, to Mike, to Rian and James, and we can chat to you. We can talk about what options there are to be involved in a huddle. But we want everyone to be able to take up this opportunity to delve deeper um, into that discipleship and further their relationship with Christ. So I'm just going to pray over all of us and then we're going to finish. Lord God, we thank you that you sent Jesus to be the example of how to do discipleship. That God, that, you, that Jesus was there, he lived a life on, on earth and he showed us how to meet to commune with people. And we thank you for all the opportunities we have, whether they are big opportunities um, where we can meet people in larger settings and then we've got our connects. We thank you for those that we're now doing monthly. But we really thank you, Lord, for the opportunity of huddles, that we are able to really connect with people on a vulnerable level. And we pray that you would stir in our hearts and challenge us to what we can do to further our discipleship. We thank you that you are the most amazing God there ever was. You are everything to us. Amen.